today on Ag News Daily. Well, but it is possible that the seeds could have pests like like that. It could also have uh, diseases that are attached to the seed, bacteria, viruses, uh, fungus, whatever else. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are things going up there in Iowa? It is a bright, sunny day. I think folks are getting out there, starting to look at rebuilding some of the damage going on, of course, from that storm that swept through Iowa last week. I've seen some folks getting out there in the fields, a lot of, you know, buildings, siding, etc. that's being cleaned up. But uh, I, I think even some buildings and whatnot are probably well on their way to being pieced back together. Well, that's fantastic news to hear. Things are going pretty well in my part of the world as well. We had a little bit of a rainstorm last night, nothing too bad. All of these light showers that we keep seeing, I don't see them in my weather app. So it's always a nice surprise when they come through. It is in some instances, probably not in the instance of uh, the storm last week, but we are moving past that as a con- or as a state here. And on Tuesday, President Trump made kind of a surprise appearance, if you want to call it that, to the state of Iowa, along with some of the other states he was checking out afterwards. But he came specifically to Iowa, of course, to look at the storm damage here just a few days after Vice President Pence came as well and made a few promises to rural America. Of course, he promised that Iowa would receive the emergency declaration that he granted, as well as some aid money. But he also made some comments about ethanol. Apparently, Senator Joni Ernst called him out in front of the audience he was speaking to and impressed him to commit to doing more for the biofuels industry. President Trump uh, then took the time to specifically make comments saying that he himself was going to look into the issue and talk with Administrator Wheeler about what could be done for ethanol and biofuels. So that was obviously echoed well and well received from the Iowa audience here, but he didn't really give any indication as to what exactly he would do beyond talking to Administrator Wheeler about, you know, making sure folks are being held accountable for those biofuel blending mandates. Well, I have a little bit of news coming out of Minnesota. The USDA has designated Chippewa County in west central Minnesota a primary disaster area for producers who suffered losses during the 2019 growing season. This designation allows the Farm Service Agency offices to provide emergency credit to help farmers recover from freeze damage, excessive rain, and flooding that occurred from April 12th through November 30th of last year. The loans can be used to replace livestock and equipment, reorganize farming operations, or refinance certain debts. And producers in the contiguous counties will be eligible to apply as well. So hoping that those farmers out in Minnesota actually get to uh, apply for this through their farm service agency offices. Well, speaking of Minnesota, 
Uh, we are seeing Crop Tour, of course, wrap up here, traveling through Minnesota and Iowa today. But we saw numbers come out for Indiana and Illinois. We saw Indiana numbers come in, specifically, I'm talking corn yields here, significantly higher here this year on this Crop Tour as compared to 2019. Scouts calculated a whopping estimate of 179.8 for their anticipated yield for this year in Indiana. As compared to in 2019, it was just 161.5. In Illinois, they also, excuse me, in Nebraska, they didn't see too much of an increase at a 175.2 yield, but still, you know, most of the calculations they're putting out are pretty close in line with what USDA has said at a national trend line yield of 181. So Illinois also looked pretty good or is looking pretty good with a 189.4 yield for 2020. So it's looking like crops are looking good even in Iowa. That seems to be the surprising one here. I've been watching it on Twitter like I'm sure many of you are as well. And uh, starting today, they were, of course, going through, starting in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, going to Iowa, into Iowa here, and Bloomington, Bloomington, Illinois, to Iowa City tonight. But we'll we'll be able to tell at that time what numbers are coming out of Iowa. But I I've been watching on Twitter, and it's seeming pretty good still, even considering all of the crop damage that did happen in the state of Iowa. I don't think they've hit central Iowa yet, so we will have to talk about that on tomorrow's podcast. But otherwise, pretty strong yields coming in from this year's Pro Farmer Crop Tour. Well, I certainly hope that those numbers ring true once harvest comes around, but I have an update coming from the U.S. and Chinese trade deal. We've been following along with it a little bit this week about whether or not they're going to resume talk, and the Chinese Commerce Ministry indicated that trade talks between the U.S. and China will resume soon. A spokesman for the ministry says there will be a meeting in the coming days that did not elaborate on when or where. And plans to discuss the phase one agreement virtually last weekend, of course, were scrapped, which came as no surprise to CHS hedging director of producer brokerage, Kent Beadle. And he said that doesn't actually seem likely for two leaders at the levels of Robert Lighthizer and his counterpart in China. Virtual meetings don't tend to happen. Those are essentially state events and those almost always take place in person. So we will see exactly what happens in the coming days and follow up with what talk comes from that here soon. So are they saying, Ashton, that they don't want to have a virtual conference because or a virtual meeting because something at this level should be done in person? I I, I guess that's what they're trying to get at. I mean, with all the coronavirus stuff going on and the pandemic, I think that that's just what's going to have to happen mm-hmm. at this point because they've put off this talk for so much time now. But I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see. Obviously, this pandemic has made everything a waiting game. Yeah, it absolutely has. Well, Ashton, I tell you what, I have just one final story left. And I thought this was an interesting one when I saw this one hit my news wires. But We don't talk about the Northeast very often on the podcast, but maybe we should start talking about it a little bit more, especially after this story came out. At least 
4,800 chickens that were shipped to Maine farmers through the U.S. Postal Service have arrived dead in recent weeks after rapid cuts hit the federal mail carrier's operations. Uh, Don't yet know really what happened to these chickens, other than perhaps it was, you know, slow clockwork or slow service by the U.S. Postal Service. One of the female farmers interviewed said that usually they have chickens arriving basically every three weeks like clockwork. And out of every hundred birds, you might have one or two die, but thousands of these birds recently died. And so they can't locate what is going on with that and and why this has happened. So I don't know what's next. I I mean, U.S. Postal Service, I don't know if that's something that Secretary Purdue could get involved with or to be honest, I don't really know what the governing body or the overlying body is to measure or implement things with the U.S. Postal Service. But I thought that was just a little strange. I would have to agree that it is a bit strange. Have they said whether or not they're going to be able to replace those birds or anything like Mm, that? Yeah. Uh, So they said that they had some sort of like insurance claim, you know, if you're shipping a lot of things like that, or if you're shipping a high value thing, you put an insurance on there and they said they've lost the claims. So it doesn't sound like the birds will be replaced at least until they find a claim or something else happens. Hmm, Very, very interesting stuff. We're going to have to stay on that beat. But other than that, Delaney, I am all out of news. I tell you what, Ashton, I am as well, other than the news of what's going on in the commodity markets for today. And soybeans pulled back pretty hard today after gains earlier this week. So yet to be seen, we'll talk markets, of course, on Monday. But this might be an indication of whether or not soybeans have hit their quick little pop up in prices and are ready to rally back lower. But first, let's take a look here at where the corn markets left off. The September contract closed down just half a cent to end at 324 and three quarters. The December contract down a half a cent to close at 339 and a quarter. As mentioned, soybeans had big pullbacks today as the September contract lost nine and a quarter cents to close at 903 and a quarter. The November down eight and a half cents to end the day at 905 and a half. Wheat was the only winner on today's grain markets as the September contract climbed seven and a half cents higher to close at five nineteen and a half. The December put on six and a quarter cents to close at five twenty eight and a quarter. In the livestock markets, a little weakness on the day as the August contract shed forty five cents to close at one oh seven oh two and a half. The cattle complex also traded lower on the day as the August contract shed 45 cents to end at 107.02 and a half. The October down $1.05 to close at 109.77 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the August contract down 12 cents on the day to close at 143.42 and a half. The September shed 17 and a half cents to close at 145.82 and a half. Lean hogs continued their upward move today with the October contract closing $2.62 higher to end at $55.17. The December added $2.27.5 to close at $55.85. And weakness today in the dairy markets as the August contract shed $0.24 to close at $19.60. The September shedding $0.50 today to close just above $15 at $15.03. Now for today's interview... We are going to be talking about those seed packets that folks have been receiving via U.S. Postal Service today with some weed scientists from North Carolina State University. 
Well, today we are joined by two professors at North Carolina State University to talk about those seed packets that we've seen blowing up in the media as of lately. We've got Dr. Charlie Calhoun, the assistant professor, an, an assistant professor, I should say, and a weed scientist, as well as Dr. Rob Richardson, a professor and extension specialist there in North Carolina. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, Dr. Richardson, Rob, I'll, I'll start with you here. We have talked a lot about these seed packets on the podcast. It's been blowing up in the media over the past couple of weeks. It seems like it's starting to die down now, but put it in perspective perspective for us. How serious was this issue or is this issue? Um, well, it's a fairly serious issue. It, it's really hard to say right now um, you know, how serious it is because uh, USDA is still looking into the matter and still investigating the seed and all the information has really not been developed yet as far as what all has been in those seed mixes that, that's been sent. But people should take the issue very seriously and certainly if you receive seed or know somebody that has received the seed, don't plant it. Uh, contact USDA APHIS and tell them what you've received and when, and let them uh, do due diligence on this and figure out exactly what's going on and what's in those seed. So the situation in the media, at least I have noticed, has died down just a little bit, but is this still a concern? Are folks, do you know, still receiving seeds and are there specific states that are just receiving seeds or is it kind of just a random by chance situation? Well, I think it's still an ongoing issue. Uh, the last report I had was that APHIS had received over 4,000 phone calls reporting unsolicited seed packets. So that's quite a high volume of, of people that have received the seed and reported it because there's probably a large percentage of people that did get seed and, and didn't notify anyone. Uh, there have been a lot of states involved. I haven't seen a comprehensive list, but uh, based on what I've heard, it's pretty much nationwide and people all across the states uh, receiving various seed packets from China. So, uh, again, it is a serious issue, and um, even though it may have died down somewhat in the media, I think it's still ongoing, and people still need to be quite aware of this and uh, very diligent when they, if they get a seed packet about what they do with it. Now, Charlie, I want to talk a little bit about, since you are a weed scientist, tell me a little bit about some of the implications that we could see if folks planted this or what this does for our ag crops, our, our major ag commodities? Well, I think you just have to look at our history as a nation with dealing with, with noxious and invasive weeds. I mean, there's several examples um, of invasive weeds that, that are threats to ag production. One we've dealt with here in, in North Carolina is, is Bengal dayflower or tropical spiderwort. Um, and if anybody had a, you know, got a field infested with that particular invasive weed, and they quickly found out it was very difficult to, to produce a crop like um, cotton, for example, because that, that weed just creates a monoculture. And that's that's the thing about these invasive weeds. If they are invasive weeds in these seed packs, you know, all of these invasive weeds that have been studied throughout history have some starting point. What they were used for ornamental value or used for, you know, natural barriers for livestock, but they outside of their natural environment, they go unchecked. 
and it can pose a, a severe ecological and economical uh, impact in these uh, introduced areas. And when when folks receive these seed packets, obviously they're supposed to report it and then it goes in for testing. But tell us a little bit more about that testing process. How are you able to figure out what is the seed in these seed packets? So I'll, I'll speak to my own experience. I thought it was it was kind of comical that I received a packet of seed in the in the mail. Um, when I opened, when I checked the mail that day, I actually got to the mailbox before my wife and I saw the, the packaging and I looked at it and I said, that looks very similar to some of the pictures I've seen. I, I bet you that is some of these mystery seeds from, from China. Uh, when I opened it up, it was kind of like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, so what I did is I had seen the press release and I, I'm, you know, I'm involved in agriculture, so it's not hard for me to, to see these press releases from our Department of Agriculture. But it just had some contact information for who to contact at our, our State Department of Ag about, you know, reporting a package of seed. Um, so I reported it immediately and our North Carolina Department of Ag responded um, very quickly and they basically told me to seal up those seed, the packaging and the seed, don't open them, put them in a Ziploc bag. Obviously, don't plant them or try to throw them away because if you throw them away, you they may get released, um, you know, some other way. So it's not just contain them and hold on to them for our Department of Ag uh, got there. So our Department of Ag has really been spearheading this effort. Um I actually spoke to them earlier this morning to see kind of where they were at and they're in the collection phase. Um, they've actually think we have about 1500 reported in the state of folks that received these seed. Um, it kind of worried me that I was one of them and maybe, maybe I'm spending too much time ordering packages on Amazon. Um, but they're in the collection phase and what they're actually doing is what Rob already spoke to. So USDA APHIS is spearheading the effort of determining what, in these seed, but our NCDA is is kind of collecting them at the state level and and getting them to USDA um, to determine if there's any noxious weeds or invasive species um, showing up. And so I guess my my guess is I I'm guessing they're doing some contained growouts where um, seeing if the seed is viable, what kind of seed it is, um, and if any of them are actually noxious or invasive. So I read in an article about a bug larva actually being in one of the unsolicited packets. Have either of you heard much about that? And so what kind of threat would that pose other than, um, other than the weeds posing a threat or, or those plant species posing a threat? What kind of threat would this bug or this larva pose on our agricultural crops or, or our land in general? Well, I don't know specifically about the larva, but it is possible that the seeds could have pests like like that. It could also have uh, diseases that are attached to the seed, bacteria, viruses, uh, fungus, whatever else. So it's not just concern about what we eat could potentially come from the seed, but what the seed may also have in terms of other organisms. Um, Charlie, do you know any more about that? No, I, I can just say, you know, when we think about weeds and they're, you know, they're sessile, you know, um, if we, if we planted a noxious weed, um, in the early stages, there is a potential to confine it with insects and diseases, you know, they move around with a lot more ease than, than something like weeds. So I, I think 
the USDA APHIS is definitely paying close attention to the possibility that there may be some insects or plant diseases harbored in these packets of seed that could, um, you know, folks may not be talking as much about, but could pose an even larger threat just because of the containment issue. And because you both are weed scientists, I wanted to ask this question too, just looking a little more generally at noxious weeds or weeds that we see, species we see infiltrate our crops. When you look at some of those noxious weed species, some of them are from the U.S. and others, it seems, have started elsewhere and made their way to the United States in one shape or another. How does that usually happen? Is that somebody carries something on a shoe, somebody hopefully doesn't mail a seed packet in all the instances, but how do, how do diseases or excuse me, how do weeds like that make their way into various parts of the country? Well, I actually just covered uh, this in, in my uh, undergraduate class, some of the, some of the invasive species and how they got introduced. And I'll let Rob speak to some of the aquatic weeds specifically um, because there's some pretty interesting cases of aquatic invasive species and how they ended up where they ended up. But some of the terrestrial species, you know, some of them were initially thought as good forages. Some of them were initially thought as having ornamental value. Um, other, other species were used for erosion control, like Japanese knotweed and kudzu, kudzu, for example. So, you know, these these there a lot of times you know humans interfere um oftentimes with good intentions but but not thinking um of the long term implications of of bringing in a new species and then yeah rob can there's some pretty cool examples from aquatics how how things have been moved around yeah charlie's exactly right there are a lot of weeds that have been intentionally introduced and then there are also weeds that have been unintentionally introduced so um uh, referencing aquatic weeds, there are things like water hyacinth that were brought over, again, hoping that it would be a forage for animals. Um, you know, they, they brought it over, tossed it out in some water bodies in Florida, and it grew very rapidly. And uh, But unfortunately, livestock never ate it to any great degree, or at least to any degree to limit its growth. And so it rapidly took over a lot of water bodies. And then there are a lot of other aquatic weeds that have come in through the aquarium trade. Um, People like really cool things in their aquaria, so unusual plants or animals uh, are really uh, conducive in that trade. And then sometimes when people get tired of their aquaria, they just take it down and dump it out in the nearest pond or stream or whatever, and then whatever was in their aquaria is released. Uh, so uh, those are some of the ways that some of these plants can be introduced, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, one thing I think we didn't miss, mention so far is that you can have uh, contaminated crop seed. So you may have weed seed mixed in with crop seed and come in that way. So there's a, a wide variety of mechanisms where uh, these things can spread and uh, spread very rapidly. So the last thing we want to do is anything that will encourage more spread. Well, Charlie, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And if we ever have all of our questions answered about these unsolicited seed packets, I think we'll definitely have to follow up with you guys, see what you have to think. But other than that, we uh, hope that you guys have a great school year as we are starting that back up. And thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having us again.
Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Regardless if it is a gasoline or diesel engine, when fitted with electronic fuel injectors, it is important to be familiar with how they sound when the engine is idling. With both systems, deposits will form on the injector over time. These deposits will not only impact the spray pattern, but will influence the sound. In this instance, it will make the injectors quieter since the deposits act like a cushion. If you notice that rhythmic clicking sound of the fuel injectors is diminishing, that is not good. They are dirty. Use a good in-tank cleaner and a nice tick, 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 tick sound of properly functioning fuel injectors will return along with engine performance. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet. Well, again, a big thank you there to both Charlie and Rob for chatting about that with us today. Interesting stuff and good to hear from a weed scientist, you know, really how serious these implications might be. Absolutely. And we're going to have to keep following along, though. These uh, seed packets have kind of gone under the radar now in the media, but we will continue to see whether or not there is a big threat that comes from them if anyone has planted them. And we always keep up with everything happening in agriculture on social media at Ag News Daily. And you can follow along with us through the podcast on our website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.